It's always nice to see people returning, so thank you. You never know what you say. You may remember, we started out two weeks ago talking about how C.S. Lewis is the romantic rationalist. That is, he's an expert logician. He and logic go hand in hand. But he also is the guy who says, wait a minute, without the imagination, logic ain't going to work very well. Here's his argument. Here's what he actually says. While reason, the ability to logic, is the natural organ of truth, that is, we reason to find truth, imagination is the organ of meaning. Let me repeat his words. Lewis argues that reason <clears throat> is the natural order or an organ of truth, but the imagination is the organ of meaning. In other words, what he's saying is, we do not really grasp the meaning of any word or any concept until we get an image connected with us, with it. Without a vision, the people perish. There's Christianity. You can't have just the rationality. You have to have the vision. One without the other will get you in terrible trouble. So what does Lewis do? In the middle of his practical apologetic moments in mere, Christiani in mere Christianity, the abolition of man and other texts, he'll be arguing logistically with his logics, and then all of a sudden you get an image and you get a metaphor and you remember so remember the image and metaphor from week one. I am between the paws of the true Aslan. Remember the image from week two. Lucy says in, in the Narnia Chronicles, is Aslan, then, then Aslan isn't safe. And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. Christianity takes you on an adventure. And a lot of times, to be honest, it's not the adventures we would have chosen to go on. Because tonight, we're going to learn together how miserable we are and how terrible choices that we all make. And we make them every day. Okay. Uh, <laughs> one more example of Lewis's brilliance when it comes to logic and imagination. In his most famous sermon the weight of glory. This is what he writes. Oh, by the way, he preached very few sermons. All right? But here's what he writes. Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition and infinite joy. Infinite joy is offered us. And like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what it is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So in the midst of his rational arguments for Christianity, he says, we creatures, we usually don't get it. We're half-hearted we fool around with drink and sex and ambition. And God wants to give us joy. And what are we content with, he said. What do you, what, what, so what I want you to remember, an image this coming week, what am I content with? Making mud pies when the God of the universe has huge adventures for all of us and we're satisfied with trivia 
and literally make good mud pies. <laughs> so as you go through your day, tomorrow, next day, when you have choices to make, and we're going to hear a lot about choices tonight, maybe the concept of mud pies will pop up into your, into your thinking. Well, the great divorce. <clears throat> the great divorce was originally called Who Goes Home? C.S. Lewis had a horrible time with names. His publishers, every time he was sent in the book title, they'd say, no. <laughs> Seriously, he, he could not name any book that he wrote. It, it was quite bad. It was called The Great Divorce. It was called The Grand Divorce. And it was published in The Guardian in England, but not The Guardian that you, you probably both know. Well, maybe The Guardian that, that Robin and Donna do, do know. Uh, it's, the, uh, it's the Anglican paper, The Guardian in the 1940s. It was published serially over 23 installments from 1944 to 1945. It was finally published as a novel in 1946. Okay, and by then, you may remember, the screw tape letters had already been written. The screw tape letters became a coffee table book, as we talked about, and screw tape is next week. We will be meeting the enemy head on. Uh, but the, the Great Divorce, Lewis never really, well, let me, let me backtrack on that. Lewis was surprised that the screw tape letters, first of all, were the success that they were. And then he confided to several people he never really liked them. <laughs> but he liked the Great Divorce. And he always felt like, well, why don't people appreciate the Great Divorce? I like it better. Once he was having a meeting with, with himself, with him, and warning his brother, and Lynn, Scoop, uh, uh, Lynn Kinsko, who was a great Lewis scholar, and they were talking about the Great Divorce, and she said how wonderful the book was, and then warning gave it its name. He called it Lewis's Cinderella text. <laughs> it's a book about transformation. And if you're sitting here tonight thinking you don't need to be transformed, that's a lie from the pit. You do. This is Lewis speaking, not me, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, you do. All of us. Without exception, he would say. We're not home yet. Some of us, Lewis says, we forget and we become creatures of ingratitude, graceless creatures, creatures not touched by gentleness, but, but creatures that we're going to meet tonight. We're going to meet four sets of people from hell tonight in this very room. <laughs> and you're going to hear them, and you're going to hear all about them. Well, the great divorce, there's much we could say about its background, but. Lewis was a romantic scholar, <clears throat> and there's a poet from the 18th century by the name of William Blake. Anybody here William Blake? Wow, you're much better than my students, thank you. <laughs> May I teach you, would you please sign up for my classes? Uh, I would say William Blake is the great-grandfather of British romanticism. He writes a poem called The Marriage of Heaven and Hell. Very famous poem. Very dense, but very wonderful to plow through. Uh, and in the poem, he says, you know, heaven and hell, they're just states of the mind. They're not, you know, they're not. Well, Lewis says, excuse me, Mr. William Blake, you are absolutely, positively wrong, and thus the title. Heaven and hell are divorced, as far from the other as you can possibly get. 
thus the meaning of the title. It's sort of like Surprised by Joy, his spiritual autobiography. Many people think it's about his wife. No, not in the least. Uh, although his wife was named Joy. <laughs> so it's not about Lewis's divorce. He never actually had one. But this, this, <laughs> this is a book about sharpening our hazy ideas about hell and about heaven. Hell in the book, and I just found this out, the picture of hell that we have in the great divorce, according to the Adamses, is Belfast, Ireland. <laughs> I'm serious. They say, I was having a conversation with them, and they're wonderful. If you, if you haven't had a conversation with your life, will be transformed. Talk to them. Um, and they told me, Robin in particular told me, oh, it's, it's Belfast. It's gray. It's boring. Uh, it's, you know... Steel plant, dead steel plants, all, all these kind of things are there. This is Lewis Pictures of Hell. Mm -hmm. The book begins in hell, but the characters do not know they're in hell. They're not quite sure where they are. And Lewis read a fourth, fourth century poet who said, he, he used the term refrigerarium. Don't you love that? Refrigerarium? Try spelling it. Um, that's the term that basically says, let's pretend that the dead, that the people in hell could go on vacations. So that's his premise. It's a work of fiction. He said, do not think I know anything about heaven. If you read the preface, he says, I'm making this up. <laughs> All right? Now, what he's going to do is take his dialogue and his characters and wrap them in his theology. All right, that's what he's going to do. You're going to truth, by the way, can come from fiction, despite what my students think. Oh, I, they really, it really, really can. So you have, and in hell, he would not look like this. If you were in hell right now, you would be a ghost. All right, people would be listening to you, and they have a choice. There's a bus stop. And if you want to travel to the bus stop, and it could be a long ways away, if you get to the bus stop, you can get on the bus. And once you get on the bus, it's going to take you through the atmosphere to the outskirts of heaven. All right? The outskirts of heaven. Now, heaven's very different. Heaven is solid. The people, the bright spirits, the risses of this world, all right? <laughs> they are solid. And when they walk on the grass, you know how you walk in the grass, your feet sinks in, not the ghosts, it hurts them. Because they're ghosts. So, they have this chance to come to heaven, but they're told, we are told several times throughout the text, people say, can they stay? And the answer is, yes. But in order to stay in heaven, you have to give up not some of your rights, not most of your rights, but all of your rights. Because before the God of the universe, you don't have any rights, Lewis says, theologically. You simply don't. What are you going to say to God when you see him face this? I deserve to be in your heaven? Mm. And God laughed, which he does love. I could hear the laughter, like, run that by me again. <laughs> the, the best saint. So if you want to stay in heaven, you have to give up all of your rights. And so what this book is about is that if you and I make it to heaven, and I can answer for you and you can answer for me, 
It's going to be because of our daily choices. Lewis says, if any one of us end up in hell, it's not because of probably some cataclysmic event where you made this one choice and bangle you're damned forever. He said, no. It's the constant daily choosing of others and not self. And isn't that tough? Lewis is absolutely right. I don't know about you, but I like things, ask my wife, I like things my way. <laughs> I think most of us do. So if we end up in heaven, we, and we've heard this over and over from, our, from, from uh, our preachers and your preachers in the past and Father Daniel in the present and others, that Christianity is, a, is not about me, it's about others. It's about service. Now we're going to watch what happens when people choose themselves. And so what Lewis does, he has a series of characters who come up from hell and they are met by the bright spirits. Now the bright spirits are the people who have been in heaven and they're in deep heaven. Heaven for Lewis is the picture of great adventure. Sorry folks, it's not singing praise courses for eternity. It's not what he pictured it. It's excitement. That's the kind of heaven I want to be. Matter of fact, one side note, in Revelation 2, we are told that uh, if you check it, we're going to get a white stone. Am I right, Father Daniel? Every one of us is going to get a white stone. And the scripture just stops there. And so I checked the history of that. I'm like, what is it with a white stone? And you have about 15 different readings and interpretations of what that white stone is. Well, the scriptures does say it's going to have on it your new name. We all know how important names are in the New and Old Testament. Abram, Abraham, Sarah, Sarah, and all the rest now. Saul, Paul. So guess what God's going to do? You have all these theological people saying white stones equal you know, victory and all this. Lewis makes it much more exciting. He says, Ian, here's a white stone. God's going to give it to you. He's going to put your new name on it, the name that embodies you from his perspective. But watch what Lewis also says. For eternity, you're going to take this stone around and say, oh, God loves me. And you're going to show, I get chills just thinking about this, and you're, you're going to show me how God particularly loves you from everybody else in the, everything in the entire world. You will have a new name, and you're going to be able to share that name with me, and I will get excited about your name. You will get excited about mine. This is Lewis. This is what he says. So, these bright spirits, and by the way, when the bright spirits come back to help people, they have to travel a long journey. It hurts. It hurts. We have been told in the church that we can't do Christianity by ourselves. Um, a lot of us have tried it, and it was miserable, right? You don't have to raise your hand. Um, <laughs> but we're, we're in this together. Father Daniel always tells us, it's the body of Christ. It's the church. We cannot be individualistic about this. I need you, and you need me. I'm sorry. We need each other. And so th this is what Lewis is, is trying whoops, is, is, is trying to tell us. And so when we act for Christ, and when we become Christ-like, there's a cost. There's a cost in our bodies. And a lot of you people sitting here know that, don't you? When you, have, when you serve Christ and you go the extra 10th mile, it hurts. You're exhausted. You don't know how you're going to do it, correct? 
This is what Lewis is showing. The characters who come back to help the church, they hurt. But they're joyous doing it. So, we have four presentations. <laughs> We're going to see the first part, the first presentation, uh, and there's always a bright spirit. Now, I'm only going to play one role tonight. I'm going to be the bright spirit. Uh, and then we have... Um, Robbie Smith is going to be the damned. Uh, <laughs> I did not. One person who shall rename nameless asked me if I was typecasting. <laughs> I did not. I'm not saying anything about the Adamses. Okay. So Robbie's going to come up. And what I want you to watch, I'm, I will be the bright spirit. We're going to have this interchange. And when I'm done, what word do you notice he repeats a lot? What's the message he has for us? What is Lewis trying to tell us through this dialogue? Not about Robbie, but about yourself. Okay? I've come a long way back to help this chap. My feet are sore, but it's been worth it. Well, I'm damned. I wouldn't have believed it. It's a fair knockout. It isn't right, Lynn. You know it. What about poor Jack, eh? You look pretty pleased with yourself. But what I say is, what about poor Jack? Oh, he, he's here. He, he will meet you soon, if you choose to stay. But you murdered him. Of course I did. But, it, but it's all right now. All right it is. It's all right for you, you mean. But what about the poor chap himself, lying cold and dead? Oh, but he isn't. I, I've told you, you will meet him soon. He sent his love. What I'd like to understand is what you're here for. As pleased as punch, you bloody murderer. While I've been walking the streets down there and living a, in a place like a pigsty all these years. Well, that is a little hard to understand. Uh, but, but it's all over now. You will be pleased about it presently. Till then, uh, there's no need to bother about it. No need to bother about it? Aren't you ashamed of yourself? Oh, no. Not as you mean. Uh, I, I do not look at myself. I have given up myself. I had to, you know, after the murder. That was what did it for me, and that was how everything began. Personally? Personally? I thought... You and I ought to be the other way around. That's my personal opinion. Well, very likely we soon shall be, if you'll stop thinking about it. Look at me now. I've gone straight all my life. I don't say I was a religious man, and I don't say I had no faults. Far from it. But I've done my best all my life. See, I've done my best by everyone. That's the sort of chap I was. I never asked for anything that wasn't mine by rights. I wanted a drink. I paid for it. And if I took my wages, I'd done my job. See, that's the sort I was, and I don't care who knows about it. You know, it would be much better now not to go on about all that. Who's going on? I'm not arguing. I'm just telling you the sort of chap I was. See, I'm not asked for nothing but my rights. You may think you could put me down because you're all dressed up like that in that tie. for me. I'm only a poor man, but I've got my rights same as you, see? Oh, no, it's not as bad as that. I haven't got my rights, or I should not be here. Uh, and you will not get yours either. You'll get something better, far better. That's what, that's just what I say. I haven't got my rights. I've always done my best. I've never done nothing wrong. But what I don't see is why I should put them, why I should be put below a bloody murderer like you. Well, who knows whether you will be or not. Only be happy and come with me. What do you keep on arguing for? I'm only telling you the sort of chap I am. I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anybody else bleeding charity. 
then do. At once, ask for the bleeding charity. Everything is here for the asking and nothing can be bought. That may be very well for you, I dare say. If they choose to let a bloody murderer like you all because of he makes a poor mouth at the last moment, that's their lookout. But I don't see myself going in the same boat with you. Why should I? I don't want charity. I'm a decent man. And I've had my right and I've been here a long and if I'd had my right, I'd have been here long ago, and you can tell them I said so. You can never do that like that. Your feet will never go hard and to walk on our grass, and you'd be tired out before we got to the mountains. And it isn't exactly true, you know. What isn't true? You weren't a decent chap, and you didn't do your best. We none of us were, and we none of us did. God bless you, it doesn't matter. There's no need to go into that now. You, you tell me that I wasn't a decent chap? Oh, must I go into that? I will tell you one thing to begin with. Murdering old Jack wasn't the worst thing I did. That was the work of a moment, and I was half mad when I did it. But I murdered you in my heart, deliberately, for years. I used to lie awake at nights thinking what I'd do to you if I ever got the chance. That's why I've been sent to you now to ask your forgiveness and to be your servant as long as you need. And longer, if it pleases you, I was the worst. But of all the men who worked under you, they felt the same way. You made it hard for us, you know, and you made it hard for your wife, too, and for your children. Mind your old business, old man. I mean, young man. None of your lips, see? Because I'm not taking any impotence from you about my private affairs. There are no private affairs. And I'm telling you another thing. You can clear off. See, you're not wanted. I may only be a poor man, but I'm not making pals with a murderer, let alone taking lessons from him. Made it hard for you and like you, did I? If I had, ba- if, if I had you back there, I'd show you what work is. Come and show me now. It'll be a joy going to the mountains, and there'll be plenty of work to do. You don't suppose I'd go with you? Don't refuse. You'll never get there by yourself. And I am the one who was sent to you. So that's the trick, is it? I thought there'd be I thought there'd be some damn nonsense. It's a click, a bloody click, bloody click. Tell them I'm not coming. See, I'd rather be damned than go along with you. I came here to get my rights. See, not to go sniveling along onto charity tied upon your apron strings. If they're too fine to have me without you, I'll go home. That's what I'll do. I'll go home. I didn't come here to be treated like a dog. I'll go home. That's what I'll do. Damn and blast the whole pack of you. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. What's the ghost problem? Because his problem is a lot of our problems. What's his problem? Anybody? He wants his rights. Sound familiar? Of course it does. You're sitting there thinking you've never said that. Talk to me afterwards. <laughs> Dr. Dan- uh, Dr. Dan- <laughs> Daniel will be taking confessions. <laughs> we want our rights. Why? Because if I wanted a beer, I paid for it. If I wanted a loaf of bread, I paid for it. If I wanted a suit, I got a job, I paid for it. And those people who don't pay for things? Huh. we thought like that, haven't we? And don't you, any lines stick out that you may remember? <clears throat> There's one that sticks out to me. When 
he was talking about, you know, nobody should talk about his private affairs. And then the bright spirit says, there are no private affairs. All the things we think we're hiding, somebody knows. The Lord knows. But we think it's private affairs. And we have a choice. So the, the word rights is used 25 times in the great divorce. Over and over and over. And it's Lewis to the supposition that before God, he says, you don't have any rights. It's called what the church says, grace. And the most amazing thing is, Lewis says, he wants to call you his beloved. He wants to take you up the mountain and change you into what? Into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's the goal. As Lewis told us in the first week, the goal of Christianity is not to follow a list of do's and don'ts, heaven forbid. It's to be little Christ. It's to have, the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to transform our lives with his help. Not, says Lewis, doing it on our own. I think we have a lot of Christians, Lewis would argue, they have their checklist. They do this every morning, da, 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 da. Haven't you known some of those people and you don't want to be around them? Seriously. Because they're not full of joy. So this guy tells us, I want my rights. And Lewis says, can't have them. I want my private affairs. Lewis says, I can't have them. I don't need help coming into the kingdom. He didn't want my help. I said, no, come. That's basically what it says. That's basically what Lewis is saying. You need the church, says Lewis. He's a good Anglican. He didn't pay attention to church. He thought they were, it was boring. Uh, and he, he formulated a lot of his essays and sermons while he was in church. But, he, but, that, but the most important thing for him in his life, two things. Holy Communion, the Eucharist, where, you, we, where we're met with the presence of, presence of Christ. And he said, next to the Eucharist itself, the most important thing in the universe is the person I'm standing in front of right now. What wonderful things to remember. To meet Christ at the table and to realize when you look around that table, you're literally meeting your brothers and your sisters. Amen and amen. We're moving on. We have another despicable person. <laughs> we have a very well-dressed ghost. All right? The bright spirit is going to talk to the well-dressed ghost right now. Go away. Go away. Can't you see I want to be alone? But you need help. If you have the least trace of decent feeling left, you'll keep away. I don't want help. I want to be left alone. Do go away. You know I can't walk fast enough on those horrible spikes to get away from you. It's abominable of you to take advantage. Oh, that. That'll soon come right. But you're going in the wrong direction. It's back there to the mountains you need to go. You can lean on me all the way. I can't absolutely carry you, but you need to have almost no weight on your own feet, and it will hurt less at every step. I'm not afraid of being hurt. You know that. Then what's the matter? Can't you understand anything? Do you really suppose I'm going out there among all those people like this? 
But why not? I'd never come at all if I'd known you were all going to be dressed like that. Friend, you see, I'm not dressed at all. <laughs> I, I didn't mean that. Do go away. But can't you even tell me? If you can't understand, there'd be no good trying to explain it. How can I go out like this among all these people with real solid bodies? It's far worse than going out with nothing on... It's far worse than going out with nothing on Earth would have been on Earth. Have everyone staring through me. Oh, I see. But we were all a bit ghostly when we first arrived, you know? That'll wear off. Just come out and try. But they'll see me. What does it matter if they do? I'd rather die. <laughs> then, but you've died already. <laughs> There's no good trying to go back to that. I wish I'd never been born. What are we born for? For infinite happiness. Mm -hmm. You can step out into it at any moment. But I tell you, they'll see me. An hour hence and you will not care. A day hence and you will laugh at it. Don't you remember on Earth, there were things too hot to touch with your finger, but you could drink them all right? Shame is like that. If you accept it, if you will drink the cup to the bottom, you will find it very nourishing. But try to do anything else with it, and it scalds. You, you really mean? Yes, come and try. No, I, I can't. I, I tell you I can't. For a moment while you were talking, I, I almost thought, but when it comes to the point, you have no right to ask me to do a thing like that. It's disgusting. I should never forgive myself if I did. Never. Never. And it's not fair. They ought to have warned us. I'd never have come. Then now, please, please go away. Friend, could you only for a moment fix your mind on something not yourself? I've given you my answer. Then only one expedient remains. And what happens? What happens at this moment, they hear this uh, trumpet sounds, and it hurts their ears. They cover their ears. A herd of unicorns comes thundering down the mountains with their hoofs splashing through the grass. And, they are, and we think, we, we don't know what ever happens to this ghost. But what Lewis is trying to say is sometimes we need to be shocked and it has to be a big shock, shock, like a herd of unicorns. Why? To get our eyes off ourselves. Remember the, the bright spirit can you think of something for one moment other than yourself? And, and notice, the bright spirit says to her also, I can't carry you, but I can help you. I can lift you up. So the pain is... There's the church again. Lewis takes these, these metaphors and he takes these images and he says, the purpose of the church is to help one another. Not to gossip, not to hurt, but to actually help. And he said, that's our function. And then notice, shame. So proud of ourselves. I mean, all of literature. What's the key sin and most of all literature? Pride. All right? What is in the Old Testament? Pride. It is arrogance. And the difficulty is we have our eyes, says Lewis, too much on ourselves. You think too? Yes, you have to think, well, you are God's beloved. You are worth it. You are worthy. 
All right? You are God's beloved, yes. But at the same time, our eyes should be on others. And so, so some of us in here may be going through a huge unicorn herd coming down your mountain, metaphorically. Why? So God can get your attention, perhaps, Lewis says, and say, get your eyes off yourself, because this life isn't about you. Mm -hmm. Lewis says, we just think it is. We just act like it is. And Lewis says, well, it ain't. Okay, we have another scene we want to, uh, and this is, uh, this is a woman and she has a name. A lot of the characters don't have names. This character is known as Robert's wife. <laughs> so we have the bright spirit. And the bright spirit is going to come. But you will notice in this text, the bright spirit only has two lines. Because Robert's wife is just waiting to hear Robert's wife. <laughs> bright spirit and Robert's wife. Can I use this paper? Penny assures me this is not typecast. <laughs> okay. Oh, we got to share? Yeah. That is quite, quite out of the question. I should not dream of staying if I'm expected to meet Robert. I'm ready to forgive him, of course, but anything more? Mm, quite impossible. How he comes to be here, but mm, that's your affair. But if you've forgiven him, surely... Oh, I forgive him as a Christian. <coughs> but there are some things one can quite never forget. But I, I don't understand. Exactly. <laughs> you never did. You always thought Robert could do no wrong. I know. Please don't interrupt for one moment. You haven't the faintest concept of what I went through with your dear Robert, the ingratitude. It was I who made a man of him, sacrificed my whole life to him, and what was my reward? Absolute, utter selfishness. No, but listen, he was pattering along on about 600 a year when I married him. And make my words, Hilda, he'd been in that position and to the day of his death if it hadn't been for me. It was I who had to drive him every step of the way. He hadn't a spark of ambition. He was trying to lift a sack of coal. I positively had to nag him to take on that other work in the other department, though it really was the beginning of everything for him. The laziness of man. He said, if you please, he couldn't work for more than 13 hours a day, as if I weren't working far longer, for my day wasn't over when he was his. I had to keep going all evening, if you understand what I mean. If he'd, he'd had his way, he'd have just sat in the armchair and sulked when dinner was over. It was I who had to draw him out of himself and brighten him up and make conversation with no help from him, of course. Sometimes he didn't even listen. As I said to him, I should have thought good manners, if nothing else. He seemed to have forgotten that I was a lady, even if I had married him. And all the time, I was working my fingers to the bone for him and without the slightest appreciation. I used to spend simply hours arranging flowers to make that pokey little house nice. And instead of thanking me, what do you think he said? 
Said he wished I wouldn't fill up the writing desk with them when he wanted to use it. <laughs> and there was a perfectly frightful fuss one evening because I'd spilled one of the vases over some papers of his. It was all some nonsense, really, because there weren't anything to do with his work. He had some silly idea of writing a book in those days, as if he could. I cured that him of that in the end. <laughs> no, Hilda, you must listen to me. The trouble I went to, entertaining. Robert's idea was that he'd just slink off by himself every now and again and see what he would call his old friends and leave me to amuse myself. But I knew from the first that those friends were doing him no good. No, Robert, I said. Your friends are now mine. It is my duty to have them here, however tired I am and however little we can afford it. And that is where I had to use a certain amount of tact. A woman who has her wits about her can always drop in a word here and there. I wanted Robert to see them against a different background. They weren't quite at ease somehow in my drawing room nor at their best. I couldn't help laughing sometimes. Of course, Robert was uncomfortable while the treatment was going on, but it was all for his own good in the end. None of that set of friends were of his, were, none of that set were his friends any longer by the end of the first year. <laughs> and then he got a new job. And then he said, well now, for God's sake, let us have some peace. That nearly finished me. I nearly gave up on, all, all, on him altogether, but I knew my duty. I have always done my duty. You can't believe the work I had trying to get him to agree to a bigger house and then finding us. Well, I got him into the new home at last, and of course I began to entertain properly, as you would. I was doing it all for his sake. Naturally, I had to dress well. But he was a maddening man, simply maddening. He had just set himself to get old and silent and grumpy. <laughs> Whenever we gave a party, everything rested on my shoulders. Robert was simply a wet blanket. As I used to say to him, Robert, you are just letting yourself go to seed. The younger men who came to my house, it wasn't my fault they liked me better than my old bear of a husband. Used to laugh at him. I did my duty to the very end. I forced him to take exercise. I kept on giving parties. And how could I help it if he had a nervous breakdown at the end? <laughs> my conscience is clear. I've done my duty. If ever a woman has. And yet, I don't know. I believe I have changed my mind. I'll make them a fair offer, Hilda. I will not meet him if it means just meeting him and no more. But if I'm given a free hand, I'll take charge of him again. <laughs> I will take up my burden once more. But I must have a free hand. With all the time one would have here, I believe I could make something of him. Somewhere quite to ourselves. Wouldn't that be a good plan? He's not fit to be on his own. Put me in charge of him. He wants firm handling. I know him better than you. Do you hear? Don't consult him. Just give him to me. I'm his wife, aren't I? I was only beginning. There's lots, lots, lots of things I want to do with him. No, listen, Hilda, please, please. Please, I'm so miserable. I must have someone to, to do things to. <laughs> it's simply quite 
people down there. No one minds about me at all. I can't alter them. It's dreadful to see them all sitting about, not being able to do anything with them. Give them back to me. Why should he have everything his own way? It's not good for him. It isn't right. It's not fair. I want Robert. What right have you to keep him from me? I hate you. <laughs> How can I pay him out if you won't let me have him? <laughs> okay, what's the right that that ghost would like to keep? What's her right? Control. Control. Her duty. We have all met people like that, haven't we? It's, yeah, we met them in the church. <laughs> we met them in workplaces. We've met them in schools. I have to have, I love the line, have to have something, somebody to do something too. And we, and we wrap it in such seemingly altruistic terms, selflessness, when it's not. When we want to do the manipulation, and notice, when we want to create, she wanted to create her husband in her image. Mm -hmm. Therein lies the problem. Not in Christ's image. Two married people, if you're trying to change the other partner into your image, it's rough. Changing into Christ's image, great. Now, we have about ten characters in The Great Divorce, but only one character we meet, only one, decides to give up all his rights. Giving up all your rights for Christ is pictured not as something initially as joyous, and this is marvelous. Sometimes we in Christianity only tell half the battle, half the story when we're leading people to Christ. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt. And to become like Christ means, and as Father Daniel once said, and as Lewis says, and as Chesterton says, what are we guaranteed in the New Testament? Suffering. We want to say joy all the time. That's not what it says. I don't, you know, I wish that weren't there, to be honest. I wish it weren't there. But that's what we're promised. We're promised suffering. So, we're going to meet this creature. And this, we're going to meet a, a bright spirit who will come down. And we have this creature, this ghost, but the ghost has a lizard on his shoulder. We need to ponder that lizard. So would the trio please come up? Thank you for all your hospitality, but it's no good, you see. I, I told this little chap that he'd have to be quiet if he came, which he insisted on doing. Of course, his stuff won't do here. I realize that, but he, he won't stop, so I'll just go home. Would you like me to make him quiet? Oh, of course I would, yeah. Then I will kill him. Oh, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Rude, keep away! 
Don't you want him killed? You didn't say they were killing him at first. Uh, I hardly meant to bother you with anything so drastic as that. It is the only way. Uh, well, that's a further question. I'm, I'm quite open to considering it, but it, it's a new point, isn't it? Um, I mean, for the moment, I was only thinking about silencing it up here because, well, it's so damn embarrassing. <laughs> May I kill it? Uh, well, there's time to discuss that later. There is no time. May I kill it? Uh, please, I never meant to be such a nuisance. Please, really, don't bother. Look, it's gone to sleep with its own accord. I, I'm sure it'll be all right. <laughs> Thank you ever so much. May I kill it? Honestly, I don't think there's the slightest necessity for that. I'm sure I'll be able to keep it in order by now. Uh, I think the gradual process will be better than killing. No, the gradual process is no use at all. <laughs> don't, don't you think so? Well, you know what? I'll think it over. I'll think over what you said very carefully. Honestly, I will. Uh, in fact, I'd let you kill it now, but oh, actually, I'm feeling really well today, actually, so it, it'd be silly to do it now. Uh, I'd, I need to be in good health for the operation, so maybe some other day. There is no other day. All days are present now. Ha! Ah, you're burning me! It okay. is not how, how can I tell you to kill you? You'd kill me if you did. It is not so. Well, you're hurting me right now. <laughs> I never said it wouldn't hurt you. I said it wouldn't kill you. I know, you, th you think I'm a coward, but that isn't it. Really, it isn't. I, I say, let me run back by tonight's bus. I'll get an opinion from my own doctor. Uh, I'll come again as soon as I can. <coughs> this moment contains all moments. Why are you torturing me? You're jeering at me. How can I let you tear me to pieces? If you wanted to help me, why didn't you kill the damn thing without asking me? Before I knew, it would all be over by now. I cannot kill it against your will. That's impossible. Now, have I your permission? He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you, and he will. Then you will be without me forever. <laughs> it's not natural. How could you live? You'd be only a sort of ghost, not a real man as you are now. He doesn't understand. He's only a cold, bloodless, abstract thing. It may be natural for him, but it isn't for us. He's only... Oh, yes, yes. I know there are no real pleasures now, only dreams, but aren't they better than nothing? And I'll be so good. I admit I've sometimes gone too far in the past, but I promise I won't do it again. I'll give you nothing but really nice dreams, all sweet and fresh and almost innocent. You might say, quite innocent. Have I your permission? I know it will kill me. It won't, but supposing it did. You're right. Be better to be dead than to go on living with this creature. Then may I? <laughs> Damn you and blast you! Can't you go on? Get it over with! Do what you like! God help me. God help me. Ow! <laughs> oh. I'm done for! Wow. <laughs> <laughs> a lizard on our shoulder. 
it's fascinating that the only the only ghost in the great divorce who makes it, who gives up all his rights, is the sin of lust. The ones the Christians harp most about. Not pride, not jealousy, not stinginess, you name it. No, it's lust. The sexual sin. He gives it up. And did you notice what's going on there? The bright spirit says, you know, it's going to hurt. So Lewis is basically saying to you and me, what's on our shoulder? And at times we all have something on our shoulders. We all have something, Lewis says, that we're struggling with. And we play games. Did you notice the games that, that the bright spirit told us over and well, you know, today's not the right day. You know, I, I'm not feeling well. I have to go, I go get my doctor's consultation. Well, I'm, I'll do this tomorrow. I have to contemplate that. Lewis is saying, you know, folks, that's what we do. That's what we do. We give all kinds of excuses why we can't do something in the kingdom. We give all kinds of excuses why we can't be Christ-like and that helper. And we give all kinds of excuses for the weird sins that we like to commit. And I'm looking at a group, I have no idea what's going on with anybody. <laughs> but I just know what Lewis says, and I know, and I know they're present. And Lewis says, you, you gotta have help. You can't do this on your own. You can't get rid of the lizards. We need each other. We need mentors. We need somebody who can take one look at us because they know us so well and look you straight in the face and say, you biggest jackass, what did you do? And not know anything that they've done. And we've had people like that in our lives, haven't we? And if you haven't, you need someone. You need someone who knows you well enough that when they take one look at you, they say, I don't know what you've done or what you're doing, but we need to talk. <laughs> And that's called the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. We don't have any magical powers here, but the Lord wants to use you to help his hurting world. And if that's to take place, says Lewis, then somebody needs to help you. And Lewis reminds us if we're walking this Christian road alone, okay, he says, no, you're going to fail. And you may not even make it home. Because it was never meant to do in isolation. It was never meant to do. We need to talk. To put it bluntly, says Lewis, we need to talk about our lizards. <laughs> Whatever those lizards are. They may be one, they may be, but you need to talk about the lizard before marriages are destroyed, before families are destroyed. We must talk about the lizards. Now, one last thing, and I know our time is up. My wife has given me the fingers. <laughs> she did this, folks. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, in every great literary text, You've heard this over and over, ad nauseum. There's the thesis, there's the theme, there's the main idea, right? Lewis puts it succinctly. The first week, we left thinking, I am between the paws of the Tarasalan. Last week, we sang, save. Oh, no, it's not save, but Aslan's good. Here's tonight's. The core sentences from The Great Divorce. 
spoken by George McDonald. George McDonald was the teacher. And George McDonald literally was Lewis's teacher. The, the unnamed narrator, a lot of people conjecture that that unnamed narr narrator is Lewis, but I wouldn't go that far. We often want to do that with authors, but there's nothing to tell us it was. Here's what I want us to remember. The ghost says, uh, the, the narrator says, uh, but what are the poor ghosts who never get into the omnibus at all? Here it is. Everyone who wishes it does, never fear. Here's the line. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Mm -hmm. Have it your way. Talk about putting it in two sentences. Christian philosophy, theology, philosophy. Two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those who, to whom God's going to say, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there can be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. To those who knock, it is open. So I want us to leave tonight after I pray with there are only two kinds of people in the world. We're not 17. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God will have to say, thy will be done. Father, thank you for Lewis. Thank you for his writing. Thank you for the clarity. Thank you for the images. Thank you for the rationality. Thank you for the reminder of <coughs> lizards doing our duty, dressing and shame and all of these things. Father, help us to remember throughout this week, we, don't, we have a choice. We can choose to become more like Christ, or we could choose that constant called self that inch by inch will damn us into a separation from you. May your spirit work in us and through us this week, honoring yourself. And may, when we meet next week, may we look just a little bit more like Christ than we have this week. Thank you for these people. Thank you for all who participated. They're wonderful gifts. We praise you, Father, because you are you. In your son's name, amen. amen. Next week, we will meet the enemy face to face. The screw tape buttons. Thank you.